Now, our Bible readings this morning are from the end of chapter 24 of Luke. So starting at verse 36 through to the end. And then we'll be heading over to Acts and reading the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1, which rounds out our picture of what's happening. So... Luke 24, starting at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them. And was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Then we come across to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thank you, Jane. Thanks for leading us through all of that this morning. Um, Lovely to see you all. Um, If I look a bit weary, it's because I've been hanging out with our youth, our senior youth. Let me show you a couple of photos. Um, So we go to this shed uh, way out the back of Dungog. Uh, It's very remote. Um, That's the crew I hung out with this week. We were looking at um, prayer together uh, and grappling with the scriptures and hoping to kind of stir the hearts of our youth uh, to be prayerfully dependent on God and to set good habits. Uh, show us a couple of the other photos. So this is, isn't that lovely? What a setting for church. So this is our, this is the kind of rainforesty sort of setting where we have the talks. Uh, and God was very kind. He uh, protected us from rain uh, during those morning sessions. And, and there we are sitting, sitting around the fire. Uh, it really is a great camp and I have a great... Uh, love for the youth of our church, uh, and I pray for them at least once a week. Uh, I just want them to to grow up knowing and loving the Lord Jesus. I can see one of them uh, over here. Any others from the camp are uh, here? So, so at least one of them uh, is here this morning. There'll a number of others will be there tonight, uh, and some might just find it they're too weary after a big week. Uh, so that, anyway, all right, so there you go. So th- that's a little bit of an update. And I'll tell you more about that because they did this beautiful timeline of the Bible, and I'll share that with you in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but now I am not a master of impersonation. If you've known me for a little while, you'll know that everything I do descends into an Indian accent eventually. Uh, so I'm not a master of impersonation, but what you've got to do is try to work out um, who says this and what's the next sentence? My job, my mission, the reason I've been put onto this planet is to... Talk to the person next to you, right? Who is it? What's the next line? My job, my mission, the reason I've been put onto this planet is to... <clears throat> now, have you got it? Who can tell me? Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. Thank you, Arva. And what's the next sentence? To save wildlife. Let's have a look on the screen. There he is. Uh, And my job, my mission, the reason I've been put onto this planet is to save wildlife. Um, And, yeah, what a a heartbreaking thing that he was taken so early in life. Uh, But there was a man who lived that mission, didn't he? He was clear about what his life was on about. He was convinced this was important. He was confident and courageous for the cause. Now, 2,000 years ago, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave each one of us a mission. He gave his disciples a mission. And the challenge this morning is, will you be clear, convinced, 
confident and courageous as you take hold of that mission and live it out. Uh, So it's quite a challenge uh, for us this morning as Jesus ascends into heaven. Um, I'll have, we'll probably have time for some questions at the end if you, you know, if I speak quickly and we have time. So if something comes to mind, just hold on to it uh, and we'll come back to it. If you were here with us last week, you'll know that in the final chapters of Luke's gospel, the disciples were far from clear, convinced, confident and courageous. They were, they were in fact the opposite. They were confused, unconvinced, unconfident, if that's a word, and they were cowardly. Um, so when Jesus was on trial, they denied even knowing him. Peter denied it. As Jesus hung on the cross, they fled the scene, terrified. When they saw the empty tomb on the third day, they were confused, bewildered. And now... Even as Jesus appears in front of them, the risen Jesus, just as he had said, they are still unconvinced. So I'm really keen for you to have your Bible open, Luke 24, uh, and we're going to pick it up from verse 37. So Bible's open, uh, Luke chapter 24 from verse 37. So Jesus appears to them, they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. That was their first kind of instinct. Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, how is Jesus going to transform these confused, unconvinced, unconfident, cowardly disciples? How is he going to transform them into the clear, convinced, confident, courageous disciples that he's calling on them to be? Firstly, they need to be utterly persuaded that he has bodily risen from the dead. And so he says, touch my hands, my feet. He eats with them. But there is one more thing, at least one more thing that they needed, and that is they needed to understand how the whole Old Testament anticipated the coming of God's king, the Messiah. So you might remember... um, Jesus, remember when he tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? And Lazarus says, um, look, look, let me go. Send La- Sorry, so the rich man says, send Lazarus back from the dead. And Jesus says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. It's almost like that's playing itself out with Jesus' disciples. Here he is, bodily risen and appearing before them, just as he had said, but there's still unbelief in their hearts. They needed to understand the Old Testament scriptures and how the Old Testament points towards the Messiah, his suffering and death and resurrection. 
So verse 44, this is Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, so they could understand the Old Testament scriptures. See, the Old Testament part of the Bible has three sections. And this is how the Jewish people divide up the Old Testament part of the Bible. You have the law of Moses. Let me put it on the screen. So the law of Moses, the first five books. Then you have the prophets. And there's a whole bunch of prophets. Uh, So they talk about some of those early, the former prophets, the major prophets. And then they bunch the last 12 as the minor prophets, uh, all as one book. Uh, from Hosea down to Malachi. And then you have the writings or the Psalms, uh, including Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, uh, and so on. Um, and Tim, Tim Lynn, what are the, what, what's the Hebrew words for these? Torah? Torah. N- Navim. Katim, right? Torah, Navim, and Katim. Have you ever heard of the Tanakh? It's just, an, it's just those three sections. Torah, Navim, and Katim. Um, okay, and so that's the, that's the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament scriptures. And that's what Jesus is referring to in verse 44, when he says everything written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's, he's talking about the whole Old Testament scriptures pointing towards him as the Messiah and anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Now, it seems to me the Old Testament is a little bit like watching a game of chess. Um, I don't know if you're into chess, but if you watch a game of chess, there's lots happening, isn't there? And it can be confusing, all the different pieces moving all over the place. But I'll tell you what, it makes so much more sense once you realise the key piece on the board is the king, right? The king is the key piece. And once you realise that, the game makes a whole lot more sense. And I think the Old Testament is like that. Once you realise that the whole of the Old Testament, in all its complexity, in all those books, it's all anticipating and building towards the coming of Jesus the Messiah, then it all makes so much more sense. Uh, And in a couple of weeks' time... Now, next week, we come into the book of 1 Kings. And as we look at 1 Kings from 1000 BC, uh, it will point us towards the coming of God's great king, uh, the Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to play you a piece of music. So this is cultural, a cultural intrusion. Listen to this. It's one of the pieces that will be played at the coronation of King Charles III. Anyone recognise this piece of music? It's written by Handel. um, And it was written for the coronation of King George III 300 years ago. It has featured in every coronation since. You might notice how slowly the music builds. There's this anticipation. King George II was... 43 years old when he was coronated. King Charles, well, 74 years old. It's been a long build-up, a long anticipation. The coming of Jesus was like that, only the anticipation was so much longer. 
hundreds of years, God's people waited and waited. Can you feel it building? It's kind of waited until finally, oh, now it's gone slow again, right? Uh, But at the resurrection, the moment of coronation will arrive. Just enjoy. It's coming. And then a song of joy bursts forth after such a long anticipation. The whole Old Testament scriptures have that sense to them. Just a waiting for the introduction of Jesus the King. Building, building, building until Jesus is crowned in his resurrection and his ascension. Listen to the words. All the people rejoiced. And it goes on to say, God save the king. God save the king. Long live the king. All right, so there you go. There's a little bit of culture. So look out for that in three weeks' time at the coronation. Uh, And I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks because it's actually, it originated with the words of the coronation of Solomon uh, by Zadok the priest. But anyway, we'll come to that in, in, in a couple of weeks' time. So, back to Luke chapter 24. You've had the Old Testament scriptures have been anticipating and just building, building, building. And Jesus said to them, verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. Right? It must be fulfilled because God never wastes his promises. God always keeps his promises. So if God said things would happen, they must happen. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what he's written. And I'm going to summarize what he says. The Messiah must suffer. Um, And down the bottom, I've just got a few scriptures you could chase down. Like Isaiah 53, 6, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. But the Messiah must suffer. That, That is the pattern of the Old Testament, isn't it? God's first great king, King David, so much of his life was suffering and persecution before finally he is coronated and crowned as king. So the Messiah must suffer. That's what God led us to expect. Secondly, the Messiah must rise from the dead on the third day. Psalm 16 uh, says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And there's a number of other references that talk about resurrection and the third day. And you might even go to Jonah and his experience in the, in the belly of the fish for three days uh, before he is spewed out uh, onto the land. But the Messiah will rise on the third day. But there's a third expectation. The good news about the Messiah must be preached to all nations. And I picked up one verse in particular because th- that verse, Isaiah 49, is like a, 
uh, a heartbeat through the book of Acts as the, as the good news of Jesus goes out into the Mediterranean world. I'll make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. All right. Now, I want you to notice on these three things, number one is already complete. Let's, um, let's show the tick. Number one, tick that off. That, that doesn't have to take place again. Jesus died once and for all. The Messiah did suffer. Secondly, the Messiah did rise from the dead on the third day. But number three remains an unfulfilled task. Uh, it was unfulfilled when Jesus spoke to his disciples and it remains unfinished to this day. And the trigger for us to know that that task is finished is when Jesus comes back again. That's when we'll know the job's done. But up until that time, we have a job to do. And notice I've summarised the message as good news uh, because that's how the rest of the New Testament will talk about it. Right? In the ancient world, when someone was enthroned as king, a new Caesar, then the gospel... The good news was proclaimed throughout the empire. Uh, and that label, good news or the gospel, is picked up by the Christians to talk about the enthronement, uh, that Jesus is now king. There is a new king on the throne, Jesus, and every knee must bow before the Lord Jesus. Um, and it's good news because there is an opportunity for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Even for those who rejected Jesus, even for those who abused him and crucified him, there is an offer of forgiveness. If only people would recognise Jesus as God's king and humbly bow the knee before him, they could receive forgiveness. And some of those who were involved in Jesus' execution received that forgiveness uh, because that was, the, that was what was on offer. Repent, right? That is, stop mistreating Jesus, stop ignoring him. And, and, and if you repent, bow the knee before him, you receive forgiveness of sins. Now, I just want to point out there is an urgency to this good news because if someone fails to repent... If someone fails to acknowledge Jesus as king, then there is no forgiveness. Right? Repentance, uh, a, a turning of the heart towards Jesus and acknowledgement of him, that is what precedes the forgiveness of sins that flows from Jesus. It's not something we earn, but as we turn our hearts towards Jesus, so he pours out his forgiveness on us. So now we have this urgent task to proclaim the good news of King Jesus throughout the world. I think we're in danger because it doesn't feel urgent, does it? It's been 2,000 years now. It doesn't feel urgent, but the urgency is that Jesus could come at any time and there are a whole bunch of people who have not yet bowed the knee to King Jesus. And the urgency is, now is the time of forgiveness. Now is the time when an amnesty is on offer. 
that if anyone turns to Jesus, no matter what they've done in the past, no matter how they've treated him in the past, now there is a window of forgiveness available. And Jesus wants this unfinished task to capture the hearts of his disciples. And we don't do it alone. So Luke chapter 24, verse 48, where Jesus says, you, and he's talking to the 11 disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Um, They're eyewitnesses. Not only did they see it, but they must testify to what they have seen. You're witnesses. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, those 11 disciples with Jesus that day, they had a unique role in this unfinished task. They would kind of launch the mission. uh, and, And Paul the Apostle would pull alongside them as one who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And together, they would lay the foundations for this unfinished task to go out to all nations. <clears throat> um, now these eleven, they were eyewitness these eleven plus Matthias plus Paul, they were all eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus, and they were all empowered in a special way. They did the kind of signs and wonders that Jesus had done in his ministry. And yet as I read the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit, I think, is seen particularly in their courage. These men had gone from cowardly, confused, unconfident, and now there's a courage, a conviction that they have. And a key part of that transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit convincing them that Jesus died for sin, bodily rose again, and that the whole Old Testament scriptures had been leading up to that moment. And it's kind of like all the pieces coming together. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he opens their eyes to see the scriptures and then gives them that courage to act on the basis of what they've become convinced of. Now, Jesus wants us to be captured by this unfinished task ourselves. If we're followers of Jesus, he wants our heartbeat to be about the good news going out to the nations. Because this is what remains unfinished of the Messiah's work. Um, Jesus has done so much suffering, dying for us, rising again. He's now ascended. He's pouring out his spirit but now he is empowering us and getting us to get on with the job. So you think about our church. Um, this might be a way of thinking about our church. Our job, our mission, the reason we have been put onto this planet is to make and grow disciples of Jesus. Right? That's not a bad kind of mission statement for a church, is it? It's very similar to our mission statement where we want to see a flood of disciples. I want, to po- I want to point something out. A core part of our church is that each of us will be growing as disciples of Jesus. So we want to grow in maturity. We want to grow deeper as, as disciples. 
but we must never lose our heart for making disciples. So you see how we talk about making and growing disciples? So we want to grow as disciples. One of the dangers we can have is we put all our energies into growing as disciples and we lose touch with the need to make disciples. And Jesus sent us out to make disciples. So one week ago, um, Easter Sunday, I think we've got a slide here of um, those who were baptised. What a wonderful day that was. Uh, Resurrection Sunday. Four people declaring, I have become a disciple of Jesus. I've repented. I've received the forgiveness of sins. But let's be honest. We're a big church. To see only four people baptised, I reckon that should give us a godly discontent that we want to see dozens of people baptised. And we don't want just four. Like, the, Praise the Lord, right? These four. And, and each of them has a beautiful story uh, of, of God working in their lives. But I want us to have a godly discontentment for the honour of Jesus, that every knee should bow. He deserves all honour and praise from every person in every nation. And we ought to have a heart for those who don't yet know Jesus because they remain unforgiven. And so just this godly discontent that we want to see more disciples of Jesus because this is the time we're living in. Jesus has done what he needs to do, but he continues to do his work, empowering us by his spirit to proclaim this good news to every nation, even to Tugra and Jillaby and, 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 and the suburbs around us. Uh, and I just want to say, will you give yourself to this task? Uh, and will, will you partner with us as a church so that we can be on about this unfinished task. Have a, have a word to the person next to you. There might be a question that comes to mind. Let me check our time. I reckon we've got five minutes for questions. So have a word to the person next to you. And then if you'd like after that, we, can, uh, we might be able to handle a couple of questions. So Jane, are you happy to roam? So Jane will roam. If anyone has a question or a, or a comment, if anyone wants to say, amen, this, this should be our task. This is what we need to be on about. But yeah, pop your hand up if you have a question or a brief word of exhortation for us. Yeah, Amanda. So I think our church does a really good job of outreach. When you look at Street Fest, we had 300 yep. guests. I'm wondering what we do to follow up those guests. That is Are a... we sending them a personal invitation to our next event? You know, how do we follow through? Amanda, that's a, that's a beautiful question. Mm. 
And thank you, Rod. That was great. Really needed that. Um, so, so we had this street food night. 600 people came, 300 from our church, 300 guests. Easy invite. And you just go, all right, so what's the follow-up from that? So how do we take... Because that's, that's really a baby step, isn't it? But it's an important step because it got people on site with us. It got people, gave people a taste of our church community and the diversity and, and the joy. Uh, but you don't want it to stop there, do you? Uh, because we want people to have a taste of the gospel message. Um, and so... And I reckon this is up to us who invited them. Like, so we, we put information out there and got some information in people's hands on the night. But the way to follow that up is people you invited to actually think, how, how can I step them a step further? So James over here, give us a wave, James. In a, in a few weeks' time, like what a, a lovely young man James is, if you've met James, right? And he'll be running this series called More to Life. In, in a few, is, am I right? Yeah. And, and, and it's a great opportunity to invite people to come and work through Luke's gospel with James and a little bit of a team that might be with him. Uh, or get them along on Sunday. I, re, I actually think our church is more accessible than sometimes we imagine. Just bring them along and get them hearing uh, God's word week to week. But I, I do think as a church we can do things and I'll talk about a couple more practical things in a moment but as individuals we need to actually say as the one who invited a friend how can I play a part in their next step and what would that next step look like? But great question Amanda. And yeah, Any other questions out there? One moment. Oh, Siri's talking to me. I don't know why Siri started. Let me stop there. Thank you. David. Yeah, brother, John. Um, there's a passage in the book of Revelations where um, Jesus seems to be addressing one of the churches. And that church happened to be lukewarm. Yep. And um, I think Jesus responds with the words, those that are lukewarm, he will spew out of their mouths. And um, I think that is um, telling the audience and us who are sitting here that we should be on fire for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's the church of Laodicea in yep. Revelation chapter 3. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. Uh, I wish you were either one or the other. Um, and, and so it's quite a scathing rebuke, and it seems to be that there's become a complacency uh, amongst that church. Um, but there's lovely encouragement. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. He says to this church, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Even for the person who has become complacent, it's not like Jesus will come. So Jesus is standing knocking at our door and saying, open the door and you will eat with me and I'll eat with you. His grace is still 
available, even to the complacent, but we must not become content with complacency and mediocrity uh, and, and kind of that lukewarm Christianity. Yeah, uh, let's pray that God captures or recaptures our heart with, with the gospel of Jesus yeah, and his lordship. Yeah, okay. Uh, were there any other questions just finally? All right, so um, we've seen today that Jesus wants us to be clear, convinced, confident, and courageous. And uh, I've got some, just a few practical things to help us think about that a little bit more. Firstly, keep listening to all of God's word. Right, we're looking at 1 Kings next week. And it, it's easy to think, oh, 1 Kings, it's, it's just, it's a thousand years before Jesus. And you just, it, it, it's easy to kind of switch off or to just go off the boil with that. But can you see how important it was for the disciples to grapple with the Old Testament scriptures? Uh, and so what we want is, is God by his spirit to open our hearts and stir our hearts as we look at the whole of his word. So there's the first thing. Um, secondly, commit to this unfinished task. Now is the time for the good news to go out. Do you believe that? And will you ask God to capture you with that? So here's a few things you can do. And these are just very practical steps. Firstly, pray. Pray for opportunity to speak or to invite. Pray for courage that you won't let insecurities and fears get in the way of you testifying to the Lord Jesus. Uh, pray for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower you in the midst of your fears and insecurities. Pray that we will commit to this task together. And I've got a particular request for prayer, and that is pray for us as we seek to recruit an evangelist or an engaging pastor. Because we need someone as a church to lead this work of making disciples. So please pray about that. Secondly, give, right? Give financially. If you're captured by the unfinished task and you can see that that's what our church is on about, then will you financially partner with us as we seek to do it, as we seek to um, make appointments uh, of ministry personnel that can help us as we keep on with this unfinished task of proclaiming Jesus. Um, thirdly, take opportunities. Right? As I said, talking to Amanda, every Sunday is a great opportunity. The street food night was a great opportunity. But let me have a look at what I, what I found on our website just recently. So firstly, the More to Life series which uh, James will be kicking off in a few weeks' time, right? Just snap on that. And my advice is if you've got a friend, you ought to come along with them. Um, even if it means clearing some of your other priorities, come along with them so that... Because it's a big thing to kind of step into a course like that on your own. But if a friend goes along, it just makes it so much easier. And here's the opportunities even next month. Have a look. This is just the website, right? So we've got a women's high tea, men's Texas-style barbecue. The Life Series is coming up again in July. 
for our kids, we've got youth, we've got extreme, we've got, it's a bit hard to read because there's so many things, kids church, junior drivers, and for seniors, let me, let me show you, see this, go then, you click on that button and a world of opportunity will open up. Uh, and, and there's about three every week uh, for the seniors. So, um, so there you go. There's no shortage of opportunities, but the question is, how will you make the most of it? And you don't have to make the most of every single one of them, but how, how can you, with your family, friends, neighbours, workmates, how can you help them take a step closer to understanding this good news of Jesus uh, with the hope that they will embrace Jesus as their saviour and their king? I'm going to pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, thank you that you have enthroned Jesus as your forever king, the Messiah. You laid out your plan in the Old Testament and your plans always come to pass. Jesus died for our sin. And please forgive us through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is now risen again. Uh, He's ascended to your right hand. He is now enthroned as king. Father, help each one of us to respond to this good news in repentance, uh, seeking your forgiveness. And stir in our hearts a clarity and a confidence, courage, as we play our part in the unfinished work of the Messiah. Help us to offer ourselves offer our own energies, help us to commit to praying, to giving to this work, help us to make the most of every opportunity because we want Jesus to get the glory that he deserves and we want many, many people from our region to be saved and come into your eternal kingdom and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.